The name of this story may seem strange to the regular person. To those involved with this tradition, they should recognize it. I will tell you the origins of our spooky weekend and the events that transpired on our latest and final year of what was supposed to be fun. I have a buddy from college, and his parents own a large farm. This farm used to reside on over 1,000 acres of land. Over the years, as the family needed money, they would sell off a couple dozen acres at a time to make ends meet. Today, the land currently sits at about 300 acres. On this land, there are multiple buildings. There's a farmhouse that is maze-like. It has two sets of staircases, one in the front of the house and one in the back. Each staircase goes from the basement to the ground floor to the second floor. There are about eight bedrooms in the house, along with a kitchen, a pantry, two living rooms, and multiple rooms in the cellar. On the rest of the property is a small garage that could fit a minivan, a larger storage area for farm equipment that now holds an old RV, an old blacksmith shop complete with anvil, forge, and tools, an old chicken coop that is now just storage for windows and glass that was taken out to avoid people purposely breaking it, an old pen that was used once for pigs that is beginning to fall in on itself and... Pretty much everyone does everything they can to avoid going near it for safety reasons. Finally, there is a massive barn. The ground floor holds a ton of hay. The basement is full of boards and wood for repairs. A friend of the family keeps a tractor, a mower, and baling equipment in the barn and works the fields each summer, storing the hay in the barn and selling it for some extra income. Our first weekend of fun was about five years ago. We normally had get-togethers after college ended, and we would see each other every couple of months. One of us would host the others, and we would just hang out, play video games, and catch up. It was during one of these weekends that my buddy hosted. He told us he had a surprise, and took us to the farm. He told us to split into groups, and to find letters. If you've ever played the game Slender, or have seen people play games like it, the premise was that you had to collect notes before a creature got you. He played the part of the creature, dressing up as a lumberjack and carrying an axe around. We had to avoid him and not be caught. If you were caught, you were out of the game. I was the final one to be caught, looking for the final letter. And no one completed the game. The event became more sophisticated after that. The first year was more of a trial run to see if people liked it, and we did. In the subsequent years, we had themes for the creature that we had to avoid. The second year, it was a witch that had bad eyesight, but good hearing, and you could distract her with noises in the house. The year after that, it was a butcher who patrolled the house quickly, and if he caught you, would chain you to a table in the basement in the old meat processing room. The year after that, we had to avoid shades, dark figures that roamed the house looking for us. Of course, we didn't need to just find notes anymore. There were puzzles and codes that needed to be deciphered. 
The best way to describe the feel of this weekend was a mix of an escape room and avoiding the monster. The games would usually run from about sunset, which around Halloween is about 6pm, until midnight. The years following the first year were all done only inside the farmhouse. He had a storyline going too. One where a secret organization was trying to summon dark spirits in the house. And we were part of an opposing organization, attempting to dispel the spirits and stop their actions. He would invite us for the weekend via wax-sealed envelopes with information that related to the weekend and the story or creature that we would be fighting. It was cool to receive the old-style-looking letters and the mystery of the people behind the scenes that we never saw. He put a lot of work into making this weekend happen. As I said, the years after the first year were only done in the farmhouse. This latest year, though, we were able to use the entire farm. My buddy had other people assist with the stories before we went into the house. Whether it be planting evidence in plain sight when he was obviously not able to do it, giving an illusion of sleight of hand, magic, or mystery. He had someone deliver a letter by a drone, or had us go on a real-life scavenger hunt for things to help protect us from the creature. He would place codes in UV light so we were always checking for things like hidden messages, secret codes, or ciphers that could somehow show us a clue. We had been handcuffed to things, blindfolded, gagged, left in the dark, stumbling around, but it was all fun and games. We knew that we were never in any danger. This last year started off no differently than the others. We received a letter in the mail, wax-sealed, saying that we were formally invited to the event. We got to his house and hung out that Friday. Saturday rolled around and we awoke to a letter on the door of the room we were staying in. The letter gave us instructions for a place to go and a time to be there. We prepared and left, headed to the area that was given to us through coordinates. We arrived and, after some searching, found another clue that led us to another location. I won't bore you with the details, but eventually we put a story together that told us the person or spirit that we were dealing with was definitely not a good person in life. They kidnapped children from local orphanages and took them to his house to torture them. Eventually, the police caught up with him and he was arrested. My buddy would base his stories off of things that happened in the world and the places that tied the stories together, making it sort of believable if you did not look into the extra fine details. A grave of a child that existed, and the name of the person that resided in the town, if you googled it. Adding that person from the town, kidnapping or murdering the child is not a far stretch, unless you look to the specific dates and see causes of death. It was a suspension of disbelief that ultimately kept us going. Obviously, you knew the stories weren't real, but having that slight bit of truth helped lend credibility to the stories and made it all the more fun. We arrived back at my buddy's house and found a final letter that said to go to the farmhouse. We packed into one of our friend's cars and headed down the road. Driving down the dirt driveway, 
the few bushes lining that driveway, and the buildings slowly coming into view as we went down the hill. Sitting at the bottom of the hill, between the buildings was my buddy's truck, the tailgate down and a cooler sitting on the tailgate, a note taped to the edge of the cooler. The note said to drink the water that was in the cooler as we would have a long night ahead of us. There would be more available if we needed it as the night progressed. We each took a bottle and most of us downed at least half, if not the entire thing. The next thing I remember, I was waking up in a dark room, a faint red light shining from the doorway. I moved my hands and found they were handcuffed together. A chain tied to a shelf that was mounted in the wall kept me from moving very far. I looked around as best I could with the faint red glow lighting part of the room I was in. I thought for a second, my mind becoming clearer, that this was one of the puzzles. I had to find out how to get out of the handcuffs. I saw a number in black on the illuminated wall, and it had an arrow pointing to the left. 28. I looked left, and on the edge of the light was another number. 5. With an arrow pointing up. I walked as far as I could extend my arms and looked up. 16. Looking at where my chains were mounted to the wall, I saw a padlock. 28, 5, 16 ended up being the combination. The lock snapped open with a click, and I unhooked myself from the wall. I unlooped the chain from the handcuffs and walked to the room with the red light. Now, I had been in the house seven or eight times prior to this. Most of them were for our weekend game. The others were just in the daylight, exploring the house. I knew the room I was going into had a staircase that led upstairs to the pantry. I knew the walls were lined with jars, and there was a freezer in the corner with a doorway to the outside. Turning the corner, and being bathed in that red light, I saw something I did not expect. The shelves were empty. The staircase had been removed. A door sat seven or eight feet above me. The freezers were there, but sitting prominently under the light in the middle of the room was a large bandsaw. A door sat next to the freezer that I knew led to the furnace and well room. A square piece of paper was thumbtacked to the door. Walking over to it and pulling it off, it said, To open this door, you must spread your arms. To spread your arms, you must cut the chain between them. Looking up, I could see that the door had two metal pins and a spring assembly holding them in place. Looking around the room, I found two strings that, when pulled, released one of the pins. In order to pull both of them at the same time, I would need both hands available. An extension cord ran to the base of the bandsaw. The plug for the bandsaw sat inches away from the outlet of the extension cord. I had to run a bandsaw briefly in high school for woodshop, but that was nearly 12 years prior. With a deep breath, I plugged in the bandsaw and walked around it once, seeing everything it had to offer. A bright red switch sat on the side of the machine. The blade itself seemed older, rusty in parts but not brittle. Closing my eyes, for fear of something, I'm not sure what, I flipped the switch. 
and the bandsaw roared to life. At this point, I had a knot in my stomach that had not gone away since I entered the room. Things were getting too real, and I felt that I was in some danger. But this was the game this year, and for some sick reason, I felt obliged to play. I pulled my hands apart as wide as they would go, until the chain became taut. Slowly, I moved the link towards the blade that was spinning quickly, a slight waver in its path. In the last few moments, my hands had become sweaty. Dust in the basement had been slightly kicked up from the bandsaw being on. I wanted to close my eyes, but I couldn't. I needed to focus on cutting the chain. Sparks flew as the metal came into contact with the blade. The chain rattling, threatening to pull my hands together as the grooves in the blade clicked and clacked against the chain link. I fought hard against the urge to pull away. And finally, after about five seconds, I cut through the link. I pulled my hands away from the bandsaw as fast as I could and hit the red switch, shutting it off. The motor stopped, but the blade continued to spin as it revved down. I went and pulled the strings, releasing the pins. As I did this, I looked into the room I had started in. On the wall, beside the light, was a note that I hadn't noticed before. I grabbed it and read it. It said, There are three of you in the house, one on each floor. Each of you can access a key that will help release the last. I thought that he had overdosed on the concoction I had given you, so I buried him behind the barn. Turns out he's still alive. At least the banging from underground makes me think so. I would say you have about an hour, maybe two, to save him. Good luck. My buddy had taken it too far this year. I wanted out. But I knew the rules. Once you start, you have to finish. He told us this every year. But this year... I pulled the pins, releasing the door. My face became warm as the heat within that room smacked me. The room was as I remembered it. There was an empty, broken fridge to my left. A few empty shelves on my right, and in front of me, to the left, was the well. Its cover was off, and the water was still. I heard crackling and pinging from fire. In front of me was the furnace for the house. It took up nearly a quarter of the room, the back side of the furnace facing me. Walking to the front, a wood or coal fire burned inside. I looked down into the well and saw a red glow stick. It had been cracked and seemed to be illuminating something at the bottom of the well. The sharp edges were caught in the light and were not the natural stone that I expected to see. I walked to the front of the furnace again, to the door where you fed the fuel to the hulking metal box. Flames licked at the edges of the opening, and inside, only six or seven inches, I could see a key dangling. I looked around for a poker, a stick, a board, a tool of some sort that I could use to grab the key. Nothing. Nothing that I could use to help me reach that key. I remember thinking to myself, well, this is going to hurt. And in one quick motion, I reached in, grabbed the key, the heat stinging my hand as the hot metal scalded my palm. I yanked, and the chain detached easily. 
I dropped the key on the floor as fast as I could, my hand still stinging. I walked to the well and put my hand into the water. My eyes fixated on that sharp, lined thing in the bottom of the well. It wasn't terribly deep. If I had to estimate, I'd say 10 to 15 feet. Deeper than comfortably diving, but doable. My... I can't even call him a friend at this point. He hurt me, and who knows what the others were going through. The person that designed this knew that I was once a diver in high school and college, and it was only natural that I was the one of our group that would be going underwater. With a deep breath, I poised and jumped. The cold water hit me like a ton of bricks, and it was much colder than I expected. I cracked my eyes open and could see the red light getting closer. I swam my way down, using the sides of the well to propel myself. Within ten seconds, I was at the bottom and grasped a box. A wooden box that the glow stick was attached to. I set my feet on the ground and launched myself up, breaking the surface and putting the box on top of the well. I pulled myself out, took handfuls of water, and splashed the key that I had pulled out of the furnace. The water sizzled slightly and burst into steam as it hit the key, so I did it a couple more times, until I knew damn well it was cold. I picked up the key, and it worked with the lock on the box. That box contained two items. One was a key that had a laminated tag on it. This stated, lock one of three. The other object was a small magnet. I had seen these used in previous years to unlock cabinets and boxes. There was a staircase in this room, one that led to the kitchen, but also continued past the landing with the kitchen and to a bedroom. This room had a gun case in it that had no guns, of course, but we always called it the gun room to differentiate it from the other bedrooms. I walked up the stairs and pushed on both doors, but neither budged. I ran the magnet around the doors, hoping it would catch something and unlock the door, but it did not. I walked to the bottom of the stairs into the basement again, and it occurred to me that there was a very obvious door at the bottom of the stairs. For some reason, I walked right past it and completely forgot about it. Every year prior to this one, we had never needed to use that door. It had been chained off and marked as do not enter and was just a general no-go zone. I unlatched the bolt and pushed it open with ease. Another door stood in front of me. One that led outside. I tried pushing that door open, but found it was stopped by something. Looking around in the dim light, I saw a white tab that my magnet could fit into. I put the magnet in the spot it was intended for, and heard a click. I was able to push the door open then. I heard noises banging from on the porch. Then voices. Familiar voices. My friends had escaped their bindings as well. They had obviously done so before me. I ran to the front of the house and saw them. They told me that someone was in the barn, but the numbers didn't add up. There were four of us, one on each floor of the house, and one was buried. So who was in the barn? We ran to the barn and found the last of our group, just crawling up from a chute in the basement of the barn that was intended to be for grain or hay to be pushed down. We helped pull him out 
and then began looking for where the burial had taken place. It wasn't hard to find a fresh dug area in the slightly overgrown grass. My friend was even kind enough to put a shovel nearby. We all began digging, with the shovel and with our hands as fast as we could. We found my buddy, the one whose parents owned the farm. He was buried in the coffin, under about a foot and a half of dirt. We pried the lid and found him breathing shallowly. We picked him up and grabbed the car keys that were laying with him and piled into our vehicles. We drove until we had signal on our phones and called the police. We took ourselves to the emergency room at the nearest hospital, 45 minutes away. We were drugged. I'm not going to go into the specifics of the drug used, but while we were all unconscious, the person that did this placed us in the areas where we woke up. Apparently they had ample time to set up and make sure everything was in place. We arrived at the farm around 6 that night and left the farm around 4 in the morning. We had been, if you want to call it, asleep for nearly 8 hours, waking up between 1 o'clock and 2 and escaping by 4. The police cordoned off the area and searched every nook and cranny of the buildings and the property. They found everything just as we had told them. One of my friends had to dig through ashes and glass. Another had to use a knife to cut open an animal to retrieve something. The animal was still alive at that time. The other had to risk being buried alive in grain from the barn. Another had to navigate a maze of tripwires that, if triggered, would have engaged a firearm that would have killed him. I still have that scar to this day. A scar that has the teeth of the key. If you were to look at it, you would not know exactly what it was until I told you. Sometimes it still aches. I think the burns damaged nerves in my hands. They never caught the guy that did this to us. No fingerprints besides our own were ever discovered. We all stopped going to the farm around Halloween. Eventually, our group dissipated, each of us going our own separate ways. I never talked to them again after that.